Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us on the curbside as we waste a little more time in the garage with Jim Cherry, noted author, illustrator, and columnist for all things automotive, and Tony Barthel, publisher of the Curbside Car Show Calendar. Let's head to the garage and see what's going on this week on the curbside. All right. Well, you are back and we are back. So I would like to welcome you to our second podcast on the curbside. Yes, we have doubled the number of podcasts that we have. And once again, I am here with my very good friend, writer extraordinaire, Jim Cherry. Hello, Tony. Hello, Jim. Welcome back. Um, apparently, last week, there were some issues with puns from, from what I understand. Well, the issues were all from my side. You seem to be having a wonderful time. I was just trying to be a line of defense between you and the audience. But I am quite the pundit. That's what I'm afraid of. Uh Uh-oh. Well, we have gone to the research labs and developed some new technology. Jim, you want to tell them about that? Well, the very best minds of a generation have been wasted developing what we call a punometer or a pun alert. This will attract the audience's attention to the puns proffered by Tony. Hopefully, Give them a little levity, a little breathing space around these groaning moments of pain. (laughs) Or if you're me, you would develop some sort of a script or software so that it would look for that punometer, pun meter, whatever it is. That way you could listen to that string of puns alone over and over and over again. Only you wants to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not a pun, but... (laughs) But anyway... What I'm saying is this, you you do what you have to do, because I know you can't control yourself, and we will deal with the consequences. But in the meantime, we need to get into the meat of our exciting subject today. Yes, indeed. And that is... GM's Future Liners. From the Parade of Progress. Bringing you the Parade of Progress, my friends. Yes, they are. The Future Liners, they actually started with an earlier program called the Streamliners. From 1936 to 1939, the Parade of Progress was represented by the Streamline buses called Streamliners, and they were retired after three years because Harley Earl thought he could do a lot better with the actual vehicle. And that's when they designed the Future Liner that we're all very familiar with. That thing has fascinated me since the first time I laid eyes on it. Yeah, they're crazy cool. They started working on them in 39. They had them ready by 41 and trotted them out and sent them around the country for a year. There were 12 of these. And then in 1942, the war was gearing up, was happening big time. And General Motors had to put its attention towards building things for the war. The Future Liners were put in mothballs in 1942. And only brought out in 1946 for this big parade they had in downtown Detroit called the Golden Jubilee. It was a memorial of some point in auto history, I guess 50 years or something. At any rate, they brought a few of those out for that and then put them back in storage again. Then, finally, in 1953, they decided to bring back the old Parade of Progress with these new future liners. And we are better for it. What are you doing messing with this old biplane? I'm going to skywrite so I can tell everybody that they can post their car show and vintage trailer rallies on the curbside car show you calendar. You don't have to go anywhere. They can do it right from any smartphone or computer. The plane can stay here on the ground. No way! Watch this! Everything is misspelled! Where's the spell check on the plane? My husband is insane. But curbside.tv is a great place to get the word out about your car shows and vintage trailer events and read great stories about vintage cars. Uh, where's the duct tape? They, interestingly enough, the 1941 design had a clear plexiglass bubble over the drivers. It looked totally 
cool. It was very futuristic looking and fit the subject matter. But those poor drivers were baking like turkeys underneath that clear dome. Can you imagine? And I believe those 41s had no air conditioning yet. Good point, Tony. They absolutely didn't. So when they freshened them up for the new go round starting in 53, they put a roof over them instead of that bubble. And they also added air conditioning. They also converted the buses from diesel to gasoline power and from manual shift to automatic transmissions. And then they were back out on the road again. 302 cubic inches to power. I forgot how much those things weighed. Do you remember, Jim? Yeah, that was a six-cylinder 302. I think that was probably the old you know, GM platter and splash stove bolt six. Yeah. Uh, how much they weighed? I have that figure for you, Oh, don't my you? gosh. Somewhere. You're prepared. <laughs> I'm talking 12.5 tons, which is like... Six <laughs> tiny compact cars. Powered by one 302 cubic inch inline six with, I think, 146 horsepower. With an automatic transmission. These things were rocket ships. <laughs> <laughs> Downhill with a tailwind, they would probably yeah, hit 30 miles an hour. Interestingly enough, Tony, have you ever checked out one of these in person? I haven't, and I would love to. Because they're very cool to see. You get a better sense, obvious, of anything when you can see it in the flesh. But what I was fascinated by is the driver enters, you know, at ground level, there's a door, and there's a little stairway. He walks up to the cabin there on the top level. And once he gets there, there's space for one guy to sleep while the other guy drives. The idea being that they could make better time getting to the next city if they just went straight through. They didn't stop, you know, for us to sleep or rest. They would just switch over drivers and keep the train growing. And speaking of those drivers, I believe his head when he was seated in the driver's seat was something like 10 feet off the ground. Sounds about right because the overall bus was 11 feet 4 inches to the very top. Which would be interesting going under a 13 foot overcrossing. I mean you're looking right at it just about. You don't want to hit a bump and jump up much there. (laughs) But at any rate they went really throughout the country bringing the parade of progress as it was called but it was all about what's happening now and the leading edge of technology and, and what things are soon to come. Uh, They included such things as an exploded two-cycle diesel engine, how high-compression engines boost fuel economy and power. There were animations of how cars are built. There was a cutaway jet airplane engine and lectures about science. So what they would do when these things showed up in a new city, they'd find a good local field or park they could use, and they would park them all, 12 of them, in a circle, just like the old covered wagons did. In the center of the circle, they would have all these other displays and things going on. And sometimes they would even bring out some of the futuristic Motorama dream cars to show. They didn't do that for every stop, but they would show the Buick Wildcat or the Cadillac La Espada, these kind of cars. The Parade of Progress came at a time when there was not as strong a national media presence. So it was bringing information to people. Of course, then by the mid-50s, they had invented the internet. Oh, wait, no, they didn't. But they did have TV and radio, and it was broadcast nationally. TV was coming on strong, but it was still really crude compared to what we know. know, It was black and white. It was... comedians and live theater type shows and stuff. It it wasn't really capable of delivering what this Parade of Progress could. When it started to grow to that level, that's when they discontinued the Parade of Progress. The very last stop was in 1956 in Spokane, Washington. I would have loved to have seen it, but not having been born yet, it made it quite difficult. It's not too late, Tony. I know. Because when I was back in Detroit at the GM Heritage Center, on one wall they have mounted uh, a fake fiberglass exterior of one of the future liners. 
just like a thin shell of the outside. And in that, they have a flop down of the actual display from one of them, the only surviving display. And it's called America at the Crossroads. And that's the one that I saw back there. It's really cool. It's kind of like a miniature train set, but really large. There's all these buildings and roads and features like a small town. Periodically, the little buildings and everything, they're all on little cutout bases. They flip over and show the next generation of buildings and architecture and how things change. So there'll be a little car in front of a gas station. The gas station and the car will flip over and show a more modern gas station and a more modern car. So you could say that if you were watching this, you'd really flip for it. Where's that pump meter? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was, I was dying to say that. I, I couldn't wait. I'm sure. But uh, so it was cool to see that. I talked to the guys there at the Heritage Center about that display and they said it's a nightmare to keep that thing working it's constantly needing maintenance can you imagine 12 of those things they must have had a huge crew yeah, they, apparently they up. did apparently there was not only of course the dozen future liners but they had several tractor trailer rigs that followed them with spare parts and such and of course being from general motors they also had a nice selection of then current general motors cars one from at least each division so you got the full mm -hmm. gamut of of things to ogle yeah in fact there were 40 some vehicles in the entire parade so it was, it was quite a big production it truly yeah. was a parade yeah, you it, see this thing come to town my understanding is they favored the smaller towns because there was less media presence there and you'd see car it was always led by a cadillac and then various cars and then the future liners and then the semis exactly they visited 35 of the then 48 states so they got around but interestingly enough they did visit mexico city in 38 and havana cuba in 39. Of course, those were the old streamliners previous to the future liners uh, that they did the earlier parade of progress with. Interesting note in my studying for this podcast today, I found a little origin story I wasn't aware of. Charles Kettering, who invented the electric starter for cars, founded Delco as part of that business venture and sold that and his own services to General Motors. They put the first electric starter in Cadillac cars. And that, of course, revolutionized the automobile industry. Anyway, he had the idea of doing the Parade of Progress based on the excitement generated by General Motors' display at the 1939 New York World's Fair. He saw how the educational advantages developed from that and how people responded to it. He thought we should do that but take it on the road. And that was the original germination of the idea for the Parade of Progress. Huh. And those World Fairs brought us a lot of interesting things, not just the future liners, but it's a small world at Disneyland. <laughs> yes, they did. Back then, it was interesting. It was part of the whole searching for a better world of tomorrow or expecting a better world through technology that was so endemic in the culture back then. That was a natural expression of where people were at. And, you know, it's really interesting that you don't see as many futuristic kind of displays or fairs or parades of progress, any of this stuff looking at tomorrow anymore. We don't seem to do that. I guess we're supposed to get it all from television and internet. Or maybe we're just horrified by what's coming. Who knows? It could be. I mean, futuristic novels tend to be dystopic rather than utopian yeah. these days. And Would I be able to see any of these future liners in the sheet metal, as it were? <laughs> yes, Tony, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Several of them still survive. A few that are just in parts, but there are nine. There's nine total that are around, but uh, not all of them are restorable and up and at them. But there's several that are and are brought up to like new standards. One of them sold at auction for $4 million a few years ago. I'd pay double that. Yeah, you're all yeah, talk. I know. <laughs> no money. 
<laughs> Very good, sir. One of them is at the National Automobile and Truck Museum. It's the one that was donated by our good friend, or at least your good friend, Joe Bortz. Yeah, he is a he's a fantastic guy. He's done wonders in terms of preserving automotive history with the concept cars that he's restored. These are famous resurrections, really. He would find junked up pieces of crap that were un you know looked unrestorable and bring them back to better than new. I'm just glad that he knows that people out there appreciate what yeah, he's doing. He's, he's a heck of a guy. So so my fascination with these future liners comes not only from the single driver located 10 feet off the ground rolling down the highway at whatever lethargic pace these things can achieve, but the whole side would open up and that's where those displays were. And then they had a light bar type thing on top, went up to 15 feet and was sort of the illumination for when these things were gathered in their circle. Yeah, that's an interesting feature. I'm glad you brought that up because you don't, I don't find very much information about that. I've seen, I've seen it in a, a operation actually at uh, Pebble Beach in 2008. They featured General Motors Motorama cars, including the future, they had a future liner there and it had that extended lighting rig, you know, popped up out of its roof. And I had no idea how it was supposed to work. It wasn't illuminated it wasn't turned on or anything it was daytime so, so this shows you what, what uh, a nerd I, I am it is uh, a series of fluorescent tubes and four spotlights on that thing and it goes uh, up it's okay. sort of like a scissors jack on an rv where it's sort of a, a worm gear that lifts that thing up mm -hmm. that was i guess so they could extend it into the evening yeah, hours and then all powered by a diesel generator which was part of that parade of progress really I didn't yeah, know it was, they brought a diesel generator with them. Something else cool. As I say, I'm absolutely fascinated by that whole thing. And if I had a time machine, that would be one of my first stops. The other would be to get the <laughs> winning $2 billion lottery numbers from couple days ago yeah we were counting on yeah there. yeah i had it i had it all spent and everything yeah there's the problem <laughs> if you'd like to see more about uh the future liner or anything we talk about here on the curbside car show just head over to curbside.tv where you'll see articles photos oftentimes videos and much more so we flush out these topics and give you lots of stuff to look at and drool over and we're not just a podcast oh we're so Absolutely. much more in fact if you go to curbside.tv and go to our stories and then go to cherry classics you'll see the article on the future liners and this one is showing a jet airplane engine display which was one of the popular parade of progress shows that they did the exciting world of jet travel was soon to be available to every man and just what is it just that it was 53 and by 59 people were riding jet so planes. the parade of progress came true it did tony in so many ways in fact that's probably why part of the reason that they discontinued it the future was coming quicker than they could keep up with it it was the parade but, of what's uh, happening next door <laughs> there you go yeah or tomorrow they uh they played for many Millions of people. It really, for a program that's pretty much forgotten these days, it was such a big deal at the time. It really was a huge elaborate program for General Motors to do. No other manufacturer did anything like it. The only thing even remotely close was what Ford had planned as an answer to the Motorama was their Stylorama. They were going to do a series, I think 6, 8, 10, 12, some number of concept cars. They were going to mount them in trucks and drive them around like the 
future liners. It was going to be copy the, the future liner program, the Parade of Progress, with the Boatorama. They were going to do a hybrid of that. If you've ever seen that uh, Mercury Turnpike cruiser prototype, that concept car, that one had a glass-sided truck and trailer rig for it, and it was driven around and shown off. And that was all that remained of that dream of doing the Stylorama. It was Ford's kind of wimpy, underfunded answer to the parade of Um, progress. GM had such visionaries and also people who could kind of almost let loose with semi-wacky ideas at the time that really turned into cool stuff, including cool cars. Somehow GM was quite the incubator for for ideas. Yes, they were. The beauty part was General Motors had the budget to do this stuff too. They were the biggest corporation in the world at the time, making money hand over fist, dominating the globe in terms of auto sales. They had money to spend and they were, but the cool part is they used it in very exciting, innovative, show busy kind of ways that entertained and informed the public as well as just making new cars or selling new cars. They were leading the public into the technological future, which was Pretty visionary thing to do. They were kind of like Elon Musk, but with a gigantic budget. And a whole lot of people sharing that vision, whereas Musk seems like a seems like a lone crusader yeah, a lot of yeah, time. Yeah, I, I tend to share that with you. Well, that is our story on the GM Future Liner. We are also going to take a brief detour. Jim saw something else really cool over the past few weeks at the Peterson Automotive Museum, Japanese cars. Are you tired of having to deal with those confusing websites for your car show t-shirts with their hidden fees, secret charges, and crazy gotchas? Well, carshow-tees is a company based here in America that employs Americans in a small community offering jobs and opportunity while also giving you competitive pricing and great service. Plus, we offer a real phone number where you could talk to me in English. We've got shirts, hats, jackets, and just about anything you can wear and offer both screen printing and embroidery. I appreciate your giving us a chance on your car show apparel or take us to work. You can visit us on the internet at www.carshow-tees.com or give me a call 707-739-6661. That's carshow-tees.com or 707-739-6661. And thank you. The current Peterson exhibit, I believe it goes up through April, is all about Japanese cars kind of sort of before they got here to America. And a lot of cars that were only for the Japanese domestic market were never seen by Americans. And they're all restored to a fairly well. They're just like super minted out perfect. It was sponsored by Nissan, so it's done to a very high standard. They've just got some crazy cool cars. A lot of them look like uh, they were designed for Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, they they're uh, the circus definitely comes to mind when you see some of these things and imagine them puttering around the streets. Yeah, exactly. If you go to curbside.tv, you'll see the coverage of the Japanese car show at the Peterson and there's a whole big slideshow where you can see these crazy cars there. One of them is the fabulous Toyota 2000 GT, which is uncharacteristic. The rest of them are kind of cartoony and funny, but it's it's like Japan finally getting serious and building a modern sports car for the first time and it, it's spectacular. It's uh, kind of like a cross between a Datsun 280Z and a Jaguar Yeah, it's amazing when you think that Nissan did bring the 240Z here in the early 70s, and we never saw the Toyota 2000 GT. Yeah, I don't think they imported a single one. No, but they were something I think Americans would have gone nuts for. At that time, Toyota was 
building basic, you know, dependable transportation. And that thing would have brought people into right. the showrooms like mad, I believe. Well, when the Corolla is your flagship car, uh, anything could Yeah, help. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not- there was, maybe it was just too big a gap between the little lowly Corolla with its sewing machine motor and the fantastic limited production 2000 gt i don't know what the problem was but it was it's funny the japanese seem to do that though they would their coolest cars they would just barely trickle them out hardly make any another example is in that same show is the mazda cosmo such a cool car and it was kind of like a japanese thunderbird uh, with a rotary engine. Yeah, that's it's amazing when you think that Mazda incorporated those Winkel engines and what a what a departure that is from anything else on the Absolutely. market. Absolutely. The engines had their problems, but they did make it work. And those uh, Cosmos are, of course, very sought-after collector cars now. The Toyota 2000 GT is off the hook. It's like, a, I think, a million-dollar car now or something. Wow. They're so sought-after. Huh. That, yeah, it's, if you look at the pictures of it, you can see why. In some ways, it reminds me of the early 240s. Probably mm-hmm. not a mistake. Yeah. I bet you one copied the other because the, the Japanese manufacturers are very good at taking a good idea and, and running Absolutely. with it. Absolutely. A car represented there is one that some Americans will be familiar with. It's the first little Honda two-door hatchback. Yeah, 600. And I had a friend who loved those things and collected them. And he was really good at taking them apart and putting them back together. And this guy was, I think he was 6'3", six, 6'4", six, something like that. And just almost, again, another clown car reference. He, he loved driving around in them, then you'd see him, this guy get out of the car and he was really tall. And if I'm not mistaken, the one that they have at the Peterson is the first one imported to the U.S. Could well be. I think that's probably true because I read a story about them finding that car and restoring it a few years ago. Those believe, I believe they had chain drives on wow. those cars. Huh. Three-cylinder motor and a chain drive. I mean, they were motorcycle makers, so... It's not too big a stretch to make a car with a chain drive, I guess. Yeah, you basically enclose the motorcycle and you're ready to go. Very soon they brought out the first Honda Civic and then they were on their way. Yeah, I remember what a huge impact the Civic made. I had a lot of friends who had them and then I had friends who had Novas, both of which were contemporary cars at the time. And God, the Novas would just fall apart and the Civics would just go, go, go. And so you could see the writing yeah. on the wall for, for the future. Here's these young people having these great experiences and they're going to keep trading up until some of them end up in Acuras and some of them just quit buying GM cars. Yeah, well, that that would happen. I had a 73 Civic. I think it was the first year and I just loved that car. I, I had a little t-shirt business then and I could get a thousand t-shirts in the back of that car with the seats folded down. It was just really a fun little runabout to, for a city car. Wow. Huh. Well, speaking of, of podcasts, we have come to the close of yet another one. We have doubled the number of podcasts on the curbside with this number two. And of course, we think, yeah, we think you are number one for listening to us. (laughs) And we will look forward to chatting with you next week on the Curbside Podcast with me, Jim Cherry, and your host, Tony Barthel. Thank you very much. And I would really like to encourage you to tell a friend about this podcast or tell somebody you don't like. That's It's all good. And if you would please be so kind as to leave a review on iTunes, that will tell everyone else what you think of it. To be on this side of the microphone, for me, is very exciting. And I, I really appreciate the listeners and the chance to, to be here. And so thank you very much. And uh, we will see you on the curbside. While it may sound like two miscreants in the basement of their mom's garage, it actually takes a village to put this on. And we've got those village people. Education is handled by Bud Weiser. Healthcare provided by Do We Hurt. Thank you for joining us this week. And now go get something productive done. 
That honeydew list isn't getting any shorter.